0: Well, we do continue this morning in that season of Advent, the season where we remember and celebrate the initial coming of Christ and look forward to the fulfillment of the promise that he will indeed come again. In this season, this year, we are focusing on the person and the work of John the Baptist. And a couple of things I probably should have qualified from the very beginning. First of all, we certainly aren't going to be looking at everything that the Bible tells us about John the Baptist. And in fact, of the things that it does tell us in picking certain things, we're actually not even going in chronological order. For example, the story that we're going to look at this morning uh, is actually one that follows the story that we're going to be looking at on Christmas Day. But in that, reminding that what we have looked at so far was the prophecy of what and who John the Baptist would be and do from Isaiah chapter 40. And then last week from Matthew 3, we looked at John's call, his, his main summary of his message, which was repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in that message we said that we see a glimpse there of John being one who was both humble about himself and was exalting of Jesus Christ. Something that we're going to expand on today. This morning we're going to be looking at John chapter 3. Now we're picking up or we had left off a sermon series on the book of John and I preached on this text 11 months ago, I do promise though, this is not the same sermon. So I wrote something new, but uh, because of a different context. But again, uh, this morning we're going to be looking at John chapter 3, verses 22 through the end of the chapter, and verse 36. It can be found on page 1055 if you're in your Pew Bibles. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Enon, near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi... He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I kind of highlighted with the young children that had gathered up the front this morning, not only are we in the season of Advent, but obviously we are very much in the Christmas season. And once again, it just seems like such a quick transition. You hear on the radio people begging, please wait until Thanksgiving is over before you decorate your house for Christmas. And it seems like two days later, they're saying, well, now that Thanksgiving is over, hopefully your Christmas shopping is all done and and wrapped up. We are in the thick of it. And we are trying to figure out, well, what presents do we get for those that we love? And and I know that my wife and I always have a little bit of a dilemma that I don't think is new, and it probably is one that we share with almost every parent here, which is this. You certainly want to find and give your children gifts that they want and will appreciate and love, and yet... You don't necessarily want to give them something that's going to totally absorb them once they get it. And there are lots of presents like that. Think of things today like uh, video game systems or a a cell phone or a VR device. Or it could be a a motorbike for some kids. And as soon as they get it, it's such a great gift that all of their attention, all of their time is going to be focused on that one thing and be devoted to it for a long time. Like I said, it's not necessarily anything new. I can remember as a kid one year getting a Sony Walkman. Another year getting a Nintendo Game Boy, one of the very first portable gaming systems. I can promise you that in the months following getting those gifts, I didn't talk with my family nearly as much. I didn't talk with my classmates on the bus nearly as much because those gifts absorbed my focus and my time and my attention. And that's really where the dilemma of life lies, Time is such a valuable resource. Uh, there are so many things in our world that is fighting for that resource, for where we give our attention, for what we give our money to, for what we love and devote ourselves to. And, and when new things enter into our lives, we have to decide where will this now fit in that priority list. And there are certainly many things, and it will be happening again this Christmas for many of us, that when these new things come into our lives, we'll have to decide where and how do they fit in my attention, in my time, and what I give myself to. Hopefully by the time you get to the end of our message, you're going to see how that fits into the text that we just read for this morning. That text starts with a little bit of a setting, and it begins with those two words, after this. The after this is the idea that we are at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he has grown and developed, and now, having earlier been baptized by John, he's going out and he's starting to make a public appearance in front of people. Most recently, that was seen earlier in this chapter when Jesus had cleansed the temple, driving people out for their sale and misuse of that temple space. And then it was followed by a conversation with the Pharisee, Nicodemus, where Jesus spoke of why he was there and what he was doing and the necessity of people being born again. Well, after this had taken place, Jesus leaves the the public and urban area of Jerusalem, and we are told he goes out into the Judean countryside. There his disciples were baptizing people, and they were gathering a crowd in the very same area that John the Baptist had been doing those things. In the Gospel of John, up to this point, John the Baptist actually plays a pretty prominent role. We've seen him proclaim this message. We've heard about how the crowds have gathered around them. But now, Jesus is in the same area. And this raises a a bit of an issue. We are told in verse 25 that an unnamed Jew got into a discussion with some of John, John the Baptist's disciples. Now we're not told, interestingly enough, what that discussion really was. We are told that it was about purification. But beyond that, we have to just guess at what that conversation was. And based on the context, we can make a couple of educated guesses and so it very well could have been that this Jew approaches John's disciples and says many people have been coming out into this wilderness to hear the message of your rabbi and teacher John and to engage in his baptism but now there's that guy right over there and he's saying the same thing and he's doing the same thing so who should we go to If I want to live a good life, do I go to your rabbi, or do I go over to that new guy named Jesus who's on the scene? Whether or not that was the nature of the discussion, we do know that the result of the discussion was for those disciples to go to John. And they say to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. And behind those words, it's not too hard to hear that what they are really raising is a concern and a complaint. Look, John, this guy is invading your territory. He's taking over your space. By the way of an analogy, for them, it was probably like we would imagine a football So, in football, although it's a team sport, it's abundantly clear that the quarterback is the most important player on the team. Unless you have some weird trick play, every single play on offense goes through the quarterback. And because of that, it's very important that the quarterback not only be skilled, but that the quarterback has the support and the enthusiasm of the team and the fans of that team. However, it happens fairly regularly that a team has more than one good candidate as quarterback. Either they've got someone who's aging and isn't playing quite as well, and there's the new up-and-comer that's, that's going to be the projected star of the future, or the guy that you paid lots and lots of money to is just having a struggling year. And because of that, they have what is often called a quarterback controversy. Here are two different guys trying to vie for the one position that's available. And so not only do they fight for them in that position in terms of competing with their skills, but they try to get the the support of the fan base and the rest of the team around them so that they are going to be the ones who are involved in playing on the field and not the one who gets sent to the bench to sit and watch and wait for the other guy to get hurt or to make a mistake. And in many ways, that's how the disciples of John saw this conflict. They saw that there was another person on the scene. And they're saying to John, their leader, you better do something. Because you're going to lose your attention. You're going to lose the support of the people that are coming out. And if you don't make changes, you're going to be the guy stuck sitting on the bench while Jesus becomes more and more popular. Now, while we can clearly see there's a lot of envy that lies behind their complaint brought to John, and while envy is not a good thing, and we know the rest of the story of who John, who John was and who Jesus is, we should be sympathetic to a bit for these disciples of John. For a couple of reasons. Uh, First of all, just think about what it meant to be a disciple in general. We've talked about this with Jesus' disciples, but Jesus wasn't the only one who had disciples at this day. And to be a disciple of a rabbi was a high honor, but it was also where all of your focus in life got dedicated When you were honored in in being invited to follow a rabbi, you gave up everything else and you devoted your time, your attention, your duty fully to that person, sacrificing everything else so that you could learn from that rabbi and learn to the point of imitating and, and modeling after them the life that they showed to you. And so they dedicated themselves to John. To his message, to his person, and now to have that threatened in any way, shape, or form, they react by wanting to defend and promote their rabbi that they'd been following. But furthermore, they've got some good arguments on their side. John was there first. He had come before, and he had been proclaiming this message already. Jesus comes after him, and so he's the one that follows. Let the guy who's been doing this longer have his space before you invade his territory. Secondly, Jesus had been baptized by John. And because of that, it seems like Jesus had in some ways submitted himself to the greater authority of John. Even though, as we will see and have seen, John said, No, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. But nonetheless, Jesus submitted himself to John in some ways. And so it should seem that John should have the position of of greater prominence. And third, not only did Jesus come after John chronologically... But when we do hear about Jesus beginning his ministry, it's the same message as John. To put it kind of crassly, it seems like he's copying the model that John had been setting. He, his message is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's, he and his disciples are baptizing people. So he's got the same message and he's doing the same thing. It's like, go somewhere else and do that if you want to copy so closely. Don't invade on us. And so... When Jesus comes out into the countryside, it's understandable that John's disciples are worried. Now that Jesus is on the scene, all of the people's attention is going over to him. And so they raise this concern with John. All are going to him. What are you going to do about that? How are you going to respond? This is a competition. So how are you going to win? That's the dilemma here. And what is John's reaction? Does he buy into this idea that this is a competition and that, yeah, let's, what can we do? Find out what you can about what Jesus is doing. No, rather, instead of picking up on the concern of the disciples, John's reaction is actually, good. Good. I'm glad that all are going to him. Where the disciples are envious, John is pleased. And this is where we get a great, and su- a great glimpse of the surprising humility of the person of John the Baptist. And that comes primarily because John has a proper understanding of who he is and who he is not. John starts with an important and humble reminder. He says that he's been very clear that he is not the Christ. Because he was clearly seen as a prophet and because people were going to him and attention was being directed at him, the question had been asked. People wanted to know, are you, John, the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament? And John was very clear, I am not the Christ he is instead just another man. As verse 31 says, He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. And that's who John was. His message was an earthly human message, he was the one who was sent before him. And here, John uses an illustration. He says, this is the situation that you're observing here, disciples, it, it's not like a, a quarterback controversy. Instead, it's like a wedding. At a wedding, there are other people who get dressed up and play an important role in pulling off the ceremony and, and doing wonderful things. But the wedding is not about them. As soon as the bride and the groom are on the scene, all attention needs to be directed at them because they are the most important people. John says, I'm not that groom. I'm just the best man. And in fact, it would be an insult, even as it is today, for anyone in the bridal party to try to draw attention to themselves, to to pull some sort of, of acknowledgement away from the center of the bride and the groom and to bring it to themselves. But that's where John says, that's what this is more like. I'm the best man at the wedding. And when the groom comes, I'm excited, I am happy, I am pleased that the attention is on them where it is supposed to be. Whereas John was just a man of this earth, Jesus was someone from above. He had the automatic authority of heavenly experience and direct knowledge of God as God John was to prepare the way, to call people to be ready through repentance. But God had given to Jesus a greater, much more important mission. While John called people to put sin behind them, Jesus had come to be the one to conquer sin. That in the sacrifice that he would offer of himself upon a cross and through the power of his resurrection, not only would, would sin be fought against, but sin would be defeated with all of its consequences. And therefore, because of that, John says he is the one that needs all of the focus and the attention. Which is why instead of seeing this as a competition, John says, therefore, this joy Of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, John was popular. People knew his name and they were drawn to his message and his lifestyle. And because of that, he could have fought for the crowds and for the attention. He could have confronted Jesus and told him, Go find somewhere else to do what you're doing. This is my territory over here, this is my team. And if being popular, being loved, and developing fame and attention of the crowds was John's greatest priority and desire in his life, then that's exactly what he would have done. But clearly, in taking the steps that John takes, he demonstrates once again, not only in message, but also in life and personality, that what was and is most important to him... It's not fame, it's not the attention of the crowds, but it's in making much of Jesus. Even if that meant sacrificing his own popularity and fame. It's a pretty remarkable example of someone who humbly resisted the great temptation of praise of people in order to prioritize the one who he knew was greater and more significant, not wanting to do anything to draw attention away from where it belonged. And I think that's a pretty important lesson for us to learn as well. As we look at this text and try to figure out, well, what is this saying to us? I think the first question that we have to ask goes back to that opening illustration. What do you prioritize in your life? What are the most important things that draw your time, your attention, and your devotion? We do live in a world where there are all kinds of things each and every single day that are fighting for your dollars, fighting for your time, fighting for your devotion and your attention. And every single time you make a choice to participate, to engage, to spend, you are saying something about what it is that you prioritize. So the question is, when Jesus shows up on the scene, when he comes and is a part of your life, where does he fit on that priority list? Is Jesus someone who takes the top spot? And no matter what else is going on, you will make sure that your time, your devotion to Him, your money is first and foremost given to Him. Or does He get whatever's left? You'll worship, you'll pray, you'll talk if there's nothing else better going on, or if you don't forget. Where does Jesus fit as a priority in your life? Our text ends with a pretty direct statement about what happens with how people respond to Jesus now that he has come. It says in verse 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now that Jesus has arrived, you only have two options for how you can respond. You can respond with belief. You can say, I stake my claim. I sign the seal that God is faithful and true. That this is the Son of God and that he has come to this earth to give and to bless and to sacrifice. And because of that, not only do I believe, but I seek to know and to serve and to love this gift. Or, do you not obey? Do you continue to prioritize your pleasure, your joy, your fame, your finances, your comfort, and forsake Jesus? If you believe... You have eternal life. It is not just that one day you will receive or you will be on the path, but you have eternal life when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you do not obey, then the wrath of God remains on you. And those are the only two options available. So as we think of the coming of Christ and his appearing on the scene of your life, How will you prioritize Jesus is the first question. The second thing I think we should see, which is really quite related, is not just how we receive Jesus, but how we are called to point others toward Jesus. The strong temptation of when we light each one of these candles of of hope and peace and now joy is to think about how we get these things from God. And it is true that when you surrender to God, all of these things are gifts that we are given the opportunity to praise God for and to receive. But more than receiving these gifts, we are called to know and share these gifts with others. That as Jesus brings joy, hope, and peace into our lives, that it is our joy to go and share that with other people. And that's exactly the example of John. That having known who Jesus was and identified him as the one from above, he says, it is my joy to go and to tell and to point people to him. And I hope that that's our joy as well. Because the temptation in our devotion is to direct it to personalities and personas. To to say that we follow a person or attend a church and our focus is on that. and, And how much better this church is doing than that church or that person is as a teacher than another person. But the focus should always and eternally be at Jesus. Where we point to him and no other. This Advent season is about the coming of Christ. And when Christ comes and enters onto the scene, we've got to figure out what are we going to do with him. The model of John was to say, he must increase and I must decrease. I know who I am and I want to surrender all things to him. And so that's the two questions for us today. Are you prioritizing your relationship with Jesus? Does he take the prominent spot or have you allowed too many other things to pull you away from your time and devotion to him? And are you someone who delights in pointing people to him? In the life that you live, are you pulling people away from Jesus or are you pointing them toward him? May that be the joy that we share this season. Toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you again for the gift of who you are and your coming to this earth and why you came and everything that you accomplished beyond our comprehension. How you took us from those who are uh, deserving of wrath and you blessed us, calling us your children. What a gift! And in light of that gift, may we respond. May our relationship with you be the greatest priority of our lives. And may we let nothing, no object, no person, no relationship, no opportunity, take what should be yours. And may we point people toward you. That in everything that we do, in any human glory that we might receive, that we redirect it toward your glory so that you would be honored for the God that you are, and the great things that you have done father for those who have heard this over and over again i pray that this would be a wonderful reminder and at this coming week we again focus our attention on you for those who are wandering i pray that this would be a call to reprioritize their relationship and starting today they will find ways once again of engaging and participating in that relationship and for those who are hearing this for the first time whose arrival who in, your, in their life is something new from you, I pray that they would receive you and know of the great gifts that you offer to them and us through Christ. And it is in the name of Jesus, I pray this all. Amen.